listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. So we are going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 which is uh, Matthew's um, capturing of the genealogy of Jesus. So as you're turning there, um, I do even though he's not here and he's probably not listening online, I do want to take, make, take a moment just to thank Jeff um, for, his, for preaching last week and just for his faithfulness. I was greatly encouraged by it. Um, and, there, and just the fact that he sat up here and preached and was just as strong when he ended than when he started I mean, just God is so, so good and so gracious. And so, um, and this was struck by the fact that, you know, application of faith is indeed harder than learning about our faith. He made that point um, in the sermon um, and that our purpose here, our purpose here at TVC is to point people to Jesus, right? And that's, that's one anothering, right? That we need to continually pointing one another to Christ, but that's also our community. And just maybe think about obviously the live, the living nativity this afternoon and just the opportunities that we have to point people to, to Jesus, and that how true security comes from faith in God's supernatural provision. I'm dropping all these little sound bites, right, from Jeff last week. And it is God's faithfulness and grace um, that we can rely on, and that can, be the, and that can only be the only true foundation for our lives, and we see that most clearly in His Son, Jesus Christ, and that God does not abandon His plans. He does not abandon His people. He does not abandon His promises. Um, And this morning, we're going to see a glimpse of that in a very quick kind of overview as we work our way through this genealogy of the faithfulness of God and the grace of God to his plans and to his purposes and to him bringing his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And so with all that being said, I want to ask you to please stand. I'm going to read the genealogy, so you, you can't get around that. So if you want to stand with me. Um, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and I will tell you there's, there's some names in here that are a little bit odd, um, but I try really hard to get the names right um, because my last name gets butchered all the time, and so I have a heart for difficult names, so I try really, really hard um, to get it right. So but this is Matthew's um, account, right, his retelling of the genealogy of Jesus. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez by Zerah, uh, Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, 
and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you um, for this time to be in your words. Lord, I thank you for for these names that you have given us in Matthew chapter 1. Lord, these names, if nothing else, show us your faithfulness and your grace, your faithfulness to your promises and your grace that you give, grace upon grace and the mercy that you show each and every day. I pray now that you would be with us as we spend time thinking through this genealogy and learning about this genealogy, that you would give us minds to understand and hearts to be moved to obey and to apply what we learn. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Genealogies are fun, right? If you do your Bible reading plans every year, right? I'm sure you just love when you get into the genealogies in the Old Testament. You just sit there and you find yourself lingering over each and every name. You don't skim over that at all, right? No, you don't do that, right? Genealogies are fun, right? One of the reasons why Matthew wrote his gospel, and I think one of the primary purposes we have Matthew chapter 1, these these first 17 verses, is that he's working, he's arguing to establish Jesus' right to Israel's kingship. He's showing the lineage of Jesus to the royal line of the throne. And Jesus' royal line begins with David's. He is the son of David. God made a covenant with David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that he was going to have a kingdom that would last forever and dwell for all of eternity. God promised that it would be David's descendants through whom he would bring a great king, a king who would rule over Israel, but a king who would establish his eternal kingdom. And if we think through, if you, if you, if you read your Bibles, especially, um, and you do reading plans, especially around Advent, right? you read the genealogy in Matthew, but then you go to Luke, and Luke has a genealogy. And, and they're not really the same. Right? And so we have kind of like these, these dueling genealogies of Luke and of Matthew. But there's a reason why they're there. Okay? So for Luke, Luke is tracing right, the line of Jesus through Mary's sides. Okay? That's why some of the names are different. Right? He's showing Jesus' biological line to, to David. So he's showing right, that Jesus has a human right, if you will, a bloodline, if you will, that he is, right, he has the right to rule and to be king. 
Matthew, right, his intent is to show the royal line of Jesus. It's his legal descent from David to Joseph. Joseph, who was, right, he was Jesus' legal father, but he wasn't Jesus' biological father. So Matthew's following the line, the royal line, through David. So there's the human line, and then there's the royal line. So when you take both of those genealogies together, right, what Luke and Matthew are showing is that Jesus has, he's a blood descendant of David through Mary, and he's a legal descendant of David through Joseph, which means that Jesus is perfectly qualified for the throne of David to rule and to reign. So we need both, but we're going to focus on Matthew's genealogy this morning. Just a word of just to put your mind at ease, we're not going to unpack every single person in this genealogy. Okay, we're not going to do that this morning. Okay, we're going to move quick. We're going to skip. Right, but a genealogy, right, is the account of someone's life. It gives them a history of someone's life. And so as you read your Bible, as, you, as you're reading in the Old Testament, right, and you run, you run up against all these genealogies and so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so, and you're kind of just like, okay, just make it end so-and-so, right? It's there to establish a person's heritage, it's there to establish their inheritance and what, what they're owed because of who they are. It gives the person legitimacy. It gives this person rights. Right Now, Matthew's genealogy is not a complete genealogy. He leaves people out. He, he skips time, blocks of time in his genealogy. But what he's showing is that even when he does that, that Jesus has a legal claim to the throne of God, to the throne of David's. It's his. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, Paul warns Timothy about these people who are devoted to endless genealogies, who get wrapped up in their line and who was in their line. And that's just they, that that's almost seems to be like their sole purpose in life. I want to caution us here, and maybe caution you here as well, the only genealogy we need to be worried about at the end of the day is the fact that we're united in Christ. Right? It was in John MacArthur's commentary, I didn't have time to flesh this out, but he said since the destruction of the temple in AD 70, there's no continuing genealogy that goes back into the time of Christ, but before the time of Christ. And his point was, it's because it doesn't matter. Christ is the king. He's the Messiah. You don't need to wait for anybody else. He's here. But we don't want to get wrapped up in these genealogies, but they are important. The fact that Matthew says that this is a book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, that is almost like a title um, to the rest of the book that he wrote. He's arguing for who Jesus is and that he has claim to the throne of David's. As the son of David, he has a royal descent. He's from the house and the line of David's. So he's going to establish, Christ establishes the kingdom. He rules in Jerusalem, but he rules the entire earth, the entire world. God's kingdom is established through Christ. The fact that he is the son of Abraham shows that there is universal blessing that comes only with Christ. 
God made a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, where he establishes his people through Abraham. They were his chosen people, and that they're going to number as the stars of the heavens and the grains of sand on the seashore, and that all the nations would be blessed through him. So Abraham is the founder of the line. David is the royal descent of that line. So if you take those two together, like you take the genealogy of Luke and Matthew, and you take the genealogy, and you take, excuse me, the son of David and the son of Abraham, it shows us that the ancestry of Jesus, right, shows us that he's the only one that could be the Messiah. He's the only one that meets those requirements and meets the, and fulfills all that is expected to be of a true Messiah. And so now let's spend some time looking at these three sets of 14 generations. Okay, so verse 2 through the first half of verse 6, right? And all I want you to do this morning, I'm going to make this easy for you um, and for me. Um, I want you just to focus on two things, right? The faithfulness and the grace of God in fulfilling his promise to provide a Messiah, to provide a Redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. Just the faithfulness and the grace of God. So we start out in verse 2, and we start out with the patriarchs. Right? We start out with Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob. Right? When we worked our way through the book of Hebrews, we lingered in Hebrews chapter 11. Right? So I'm going to move a little bit quick here. We know Abraham, right? God called him out of the earth, the Chaldeans. He made a covenant with him in Genesis 15 that he was going to have land and have offspring, that he was going to be the father of many nations, the father of many people, and all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. It's Abraham. Abraham gave birth to Isaac um, when Abraham was 100 years old. Isaac was the children of, was a child of promise. His name means laughter. Because when Abraham and Sarah found out they were going to have, give birth to a son at that old age, they laughed. Right? But Isaac was the next one in line. He was the child of promise. Isaac was the father of Jacob and Esau. Right? Jacob means a heel grabber or it means trickster. Uh, if you remember Jacob, he was the younger brother of Esau. He stole the birthright from Esau. He, he fled because Esau was going to kill him. And so he left, right? Jacob wrestled with gods. He returns years later with Leah and Rachel, and he actually is the father of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Jacob, one of his sons, his fourth son was, was Judah. And in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob blesses Judah and says that a king is going to come from his line, a king that's going to come where the scepter will not be taken and will not depart from him. Now, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah um, were good, godly, were godly men, but they were no, by no means squeaky clean. Right? We know that they had issues. They had sin in their lives. We need to go no further than verse 3. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. Tamar. Um, the mother of Perez was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Right? Just think 
briefly about that. I think it's Genesis 38, where you read this account, where Judah was unfaithful and didn't fulfill his promises that he had made to Tamar, and Tamar dresses up like a prostitute and tricks Judah and ends up giving birth to twin sons, Zerah and Perez. Zerah's hand comes out of the womb first, and they tie a red thread signaling that he was the firstborn, but then his hand goes back in, and then Perez is born first, and he's the actual firstborn. So the line continues through Perez. So you see, just in with, with just think about Judah and Tamar and Perez. And just think about the faithfulness of God. Think about the grace of God, just even in that one little relational triangle dynamic there. Prostitution, incest, deceit, lying. But yet God remains faithful and continues to show grace to his people. We don't know much about the next two men, Hezron and Ram. But we get to Aminadab, and Aminadab um, led the tribe of Judah in the wilderness. He was a pretty prominent figure. He had a son, Nashon. Nashon was, the, was actually the leader of Judah during the wilderness years. Numbers, one, Numbers chapter 1, verse 7 tells us that. Nashon gave birth to Salmon. We don't know much about Salmon. But we do know that Salmon's wife was, was Rahab because Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Remember, Rahab was this prostitute, this Gentile prostitute that lived in the city of Jericho. Um, her life was spared and her li the, the lives of her family were spared because she helped the spies as they were scouting out the city of Jericho. So God's grace spared her life and brought her into the, the messianic line. Boaz was a, a wealthy relative of Naomi. We went through the book of Ruth a couple years ago. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, excuse me, passed away. But, he, but Boaz graciously provides for Naomi and for Ruth. He's their kingsman redeemer. He's the hero of Ruth. He ends up marrying Ruth. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Ruth was, was, was a Moabite, one of Israel's most despised enemies were the Moabites. They came out of the line of, of Lot in that incestuous relationship generations earlier. Moabites were not allowed to enter into the assembly of God to participate in the worship of God, so she had no right to even be in that community, let alone to, to marry an Israelite. But God, in his grace, brought her into the family of Israel and brought her into the royal line. Obed was the father of Jesse, this man of Man of Judah who lived in Bethlehem, he had eight sons, he had two daughters. The youngest son's name was David. So even just with Boaz and Obed and Jesse, right, we just see God's grace and his faithfulness. Because what was happening in, in that time of, of, 
Boaz and Obed in the early years of, of Jesse is, is this rock-bottom period in the, na- in the history of the nation of Israel. We went through the book of Judges. And they lived right in and around the time of the book of Judges. But God was faithfully preserving Israel, even though they were rebelling and turning their backs on God. He showed favor to them, even though they did not deserve it. He showed grace to them. It makes me think about my life and our lives. Right? There are times when we feel like we're at rock bottom. We feel like there's no possible way we could go any, stupid, go any lower than we are right now. And sometimes we feel like we're disoriented and we've kind of lost our way and we're stumbling and bouncing off of everything we're walking into. God is faithful. He is gracious to his children. It's the same for us as it was for this nation thousands of years ago. Jesse was the father of David. David was a man after God's own heart. He followed the kingship of Saul. Saul failed miserably, and God took the spirit, took his spirit from Saul. So David was the man to follow Saul. He was a man after God's own heart. He was the first king to unite Israel and Judah. He's like this ideal king. He was the role model for all the Israelite kings to follow. But as we think about David and all the ways that God used David's and blessed David's, as we read about his life in the Bible, we understand that he was able to rule his people, but not his family. He couldn't lead his family. Right? There's all this intrigue. There's, there's sexual sin. There's murder. There's violence. All within David's house. But David, God makes a covenant with David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, Your king, your throne will not depart from you for all of eternity. That's the first block of 14. You see God's grace and God's faithfulness to his people and to his promise. Then verse the last part of verse 6 through verse 11, we have from David to the deportation. David was the father of Saul and by the wife of Uriah. I think it's interesting that Bathsheba is not mentioned there, like Tamar's mentioned, Ruth is mentioned, Rahab is mentioned, but it's, it's, it's the wife of Uriah. I think that maybe gives us a little bit of a glimpse into kind of how the Jewish people thought about this situation, right? A little bit awkward, perhaps. But Solomon's mother was Bathsheba, one who David committed adultery with. David murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, so he could marry Bathsheba. But by God's grace, she bore a son, Solomon, who continued the line of David's. Solomon's remembered for his wisdom. Um, he, he, is, he had a pretty good building program going on. Um, had some money. Right? He, was, he was pretty organized, like administratively pretty gifted in that way, could organize. He did have 700 wives and 300 concubines. Right? But like, th- this is Solomon. 
Right? And, and those wives and concubines were allowed to worship their own gods, and he actually had altars set up in Jerusalem for their gods, their pagan gods. But this is, this is the line of David now continuing. Do you see the grace and the faithfulness of God? Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam actually increased the tax burden on the people. You know, the people would say, hey, like, can, you, can you lighten up a little bit? Rehoboam said, yeah, I can, but I'm not. And he chose to increase the tax burden on the people. So the northern kingdom revolts and the kingdom divides under Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the father of Abijah. Abijah followed the sins of his father, Rehoboam. Abijah was the father of Asaph or Asa. Now, Asa was a reformer. Or Asaph was a reformer. Um, he removed foreign gods. Um, he, he removed the, the foreign religious practices, these pagan religious practices. Um, but Asa had a problem because Asa a lot of times would, 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 would think too highly of man, and he relied too much on man and not gods. But he was a reformer. He made great change. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Um, Jehoshaphat followed gods. Um, but he also made an alliance with some really wicked men like the king, of a king Ahab of Israel, and that's going to prove to be very catastrophic in the history of, of Israel. Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. Joram did was evil in sight of the Lord. Joram brought Baal worship to Judah. Uzziah, again, good, good in the sense that there's a great expansion and prosperity during the rule and the reign of Uzziah. But in his pride, he gave himself as king priestly privileges, which you'd never do. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Did some pretty amazing building projects. There was material prosperity during his reign. There was some military success during his reign. Um, then there's Jotham, who's, who's the father of Ahaz. You heard about him last week. Right? King, king Ahaz. Um, he was evil. He was an evil king. Um, horrific idolatry, worshiping Assyrian gods, practicing human sacrifice, defiling the temple. He placed an altar to one of the gods of Assyria in the temple, God's temple. Isaiah counseled Ahaz, remember that? But he refused his advice. Instead, he appealed for help from Assyria, which is going to end up in Judah being conquered by and held captive by Assyria. Hezekiah's son, or excuse me, Ahaz's son, Hezekiah comes along. Hezekiah's a reformer, kind of like Asa. So he reopens the temple in Jerusalem. He removes the idols. He pleads with God when he was sick and he was miraculously healed. Right? He believed in the power of his God. But in a moment of pride, he showed all the nation's treasures to the enemies, Babylon specifically. And Isaiah told him, hey, listen, because you did that, Babylon's going to plunder you. You're going to be held in captivity in your pride and in your arrogance. Assyria was knocking on the door once again of Jerusalem, but Hezekiah pleads with God, and God protects Jerusalem from Assyria. Manasseh comes along, the son of Hezekiah. Manasseh, and get a load of this, is worse than Ahaz. Right? The Bible says that he did more evil than the nations. 
He promoted idolatry. He murdered innocent people. And 2 Kings actually blames him for the ultimate destruction and exile of Judah, which isn't going to happen for a couple generations later. Amos comes along, the son of Manasseh, who follows in the steps of his dad's. Josiah, the son of Amos, comes along. He's a reformer, right? And, and for not just Jerusalem, but the surrounding regions as well. He's, he became king at eight years old. And during his reign, the book of the law was found in the temple, and they were making repairs on the temple. And it was read to Josiah, which when he heard it, he was cut to the heart, and he, he repented and dressed in sackcloth and ashes. And, it's, and it, it spurred him on to do even more as far as like far-reaching reforms for the, for, the, for the people of Judah. He's remembered as one of the, if not the greatest king that Judah ever had. Josiah's son, Jeconiah, did evil in the sight of the Lord's. And it was under his reign that Judah is taken into exile into to Babylon. Manasseh's blamed for it, but it happens under the rule and the reign of Jeconiah as he did evil in the sight of the Lord's. So you even just think briefly about that second block of 14, right? You're, you're kind of struck by this. It seems to almost be like this alternating pattern of godly, not so bad, horrible. Godly, not so bad. He's worse than the guy. How is that possible? You see this pattern bouncing back and forth. Half of the kings were truly wicked. But even the ones that were noble and seemed to do good, right, committed great sins. But yet, God is faithful. He's gracious to his people. The genealogy of Jesus connects him to all the sinfulness of mankind, even just in those generations that are listed. Even through all the sinfulness, God's faithfulness and his grace shines through. Even in all of our wickedness and our sin, guess what? God's faithfulness and his grace continues to shine through. See, we can read these genealogies and think, man, what a bunch of rascals they were. But if we're honest, what a rascal am I? The last part, verses 12 through 17. So from the deportation to Christ. Jeconiah, right? He's, on, he's ruling and reigning. The country goes into exile. Um, Jeconiah's evil was so great that his line was cursed. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30. None of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Okay, so if you're paying attention, right, and we, and we hear about this Jeconiah character, and it's like, okay, well, his line is cursed, and so none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah, but Jesus comes from Jeconiah, like, right? There's a breakdown well, a biological son could not inherit the throne, but the legal claim still stands. As you see, both genealogies matter. Both of them matter. 
Jesus' bloodline came through Mary. His legal claim came through Joseph, through Jeconiah. You need both to see how it is only Christ that is uniquely qualified to be the Messiah that God has promised his people. And something happens now after Jeconiah. Jeconiah's son, Shealtiel, right, he ends up being, okay, and this is, this is important, governor, right, of Jerusalem following the exile. So you see what happens? It's subtle, right, but as we start unpacking some of this, king to governor. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. He rebuilt the altar. He laid the foundation, helped lay the foundation for the temple. He, he, was, he was another good administrative guy, getting things done and organizing people for a task. Um, but the work kind of came to an abrupt halt because some of the people that had remained in Jerusalem after the exile, during the exile, were hacked off for whatever reason that he was rebuilding the temple. So they kind of came to a grinding halt. But Zerubbabel was kind of an administrator y type person. And we don't know much. Right about Abiud, Eliakim, Azor, Zadok, Achim, Eliud, Eleazar, Mathan, and Jacob. We don't. Um, for for some of them, this is the only time their name appears in the Bible. Right there, there's no history behind them. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they did, but they're in the line of Joseph. So then we get to Jacob, who was the father of Joseph. Joseph the the husband of Mary, and we'll look at Joseph a little bit more next week. He was the legal father, not the biological father of Jesus, the legal father. He was a, he was a, a carpenter by trades. So you, you see what happened after Jeconiah, right? It's important to, to hold on to this. King, governor, administrator, carpenter. Israel is suffering the consequences for their sin. Assyria conquers them. Northern kingdom is scattered. Babylon, Babylon comes in, conquers them, deports a bunch of them away. right? And they lose this kingship idea, and they're now governors and tradesmen. There's nothing wrong with being a governor or a tradesman. Don't get me wrong, but they're not king. They've lost their legal or their regal rank. Jesus changes that, right? Jesus changes that. But you hear the way that Matthew describes Joseph, right? He's the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Now, just the way that that's written might not seem overly significant, but the way that that's written puts a lot of emphasis on Mary and not on Joseph, and so for, if you're a good Jewish person and you're listening to this, right, this, you're listening to this genealogy being read, right, and you're like, okay, you're tracking, get all that, and all of a sudden there's like a, there's Tamar, Tamar, what? Okay, oh, there's another guy named, right, but now it's like, all the focus is on Mary. She's the, she's the mother of Jesus. Joseph's the husband of Mary. Mary's kind of pushed to the forefront almost, to show that it is through Mary that the Savior came, that Christ was born. 
right? And it's not, and this isn't to show how bad the nation of Israel was and how much they had declined. What this is here to show is that God is faithful to his covenant, that God is faithful to his people, that he gives grace upon grace, and that his mercies are new every morning, and that he is going to fulfill his purposes, he's going to fulfill his plans perfectly, perfectly. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. And and he rules not just in a generation. He rules over everything for all of eternity. He's solved that problem, if you will, of the Messiah, of the King of the Jews. He's answered the question. He's the only one that is uniquely qualified. The deportation kind of marks the end of, of, the, of the kingship of David. There's this kind of like this, it just kind of dries out and you've got governors and administrators and Jesus Christ puts an end to that. He reverses it and says, now the throne is mine. It's Christmas. The throne is his. He's the rightful legal heir to the covenant promise that God made with Abraham to bless the many nations and to bless the people of this earth. Jesus Christ does that. He's the king, the Davidic king, who's going to rule and he's going to reign forever in his rightful legal place on the throne of the kingdom of God. God is faithful and God is gracious to his people, but he is faithful to his promises. And this is the drum that Matthew had been beating for the past 17 verses. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And there's there's a lot of really fun things that we can do with this, but we're not going to. Right? That, that, that's, that, it might just seem kind of like, well, it's a big deal about 14. It's, it's kind of fun, but we're not going to get into that. It's a distraction. You can talk to me after the service if you want. Right? Remember the two things to focus on, the grace of God and the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness and God's grace was at work in his people through all those three periods of 14 generations. If you just sit and just think back, there's this this kind of this this mix of of glory and sadness. Some of these men were, were heroes, but then it seems like just two sentences later, they're full of disgrace. There's men of prominence, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then there's these obscure people like Achim. They're part of the line of Christ. Israel as a nation seems to rise and rally. Israel falls. Israel stagnates and Israel rejects God's. But in God's infinite grace and his unwavering faithfulness, He sends his Messiah through them. You read 
Matthew's genealogy, and it shows you exactly the people that Jesus came to save. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, sinners. The genealogy of Jesus is so much more than a list of ancient names, some of which are hard to pronounce and seem really weird and odd, that we'd never think of naming our kids that. It's so much more than that. It's more than just the human ancestry of Jesus. Right? It's a testimony of God's grace and his faithfulness in sending his son, Jesus, to this earth to establish his throne forever and forever and for all of eternity. No one's going to take it from him. That Jesus, who's the friend of sinners. That Jesus, who did not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. That Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus contains men and women, adulterers, prostitutes, heroes, Gentiles, evil kings, innocent sufferers, but he is the savior of them all. So the gospel is for all people. Salvation is available for all sinful people. We live in a sinful world. We battle with sin each and every day of our lives. And so that's why we can never move far from the gospel. We need it each and every day of our lives. Matthew's writing about the faithfulness and the grace of God in bringing his Messiah. You think of it, think of it this way. If, if he called sinners, right, to, to, to be his ancestors, right? Do you ever think, like, sovereignty of God moment right here, right? Like, you read that list, and you're like, hmm, I would not choose those people, right? There's people there that you don't talk to at the, at the family reunion. But God, in his grace, right, had those people be the ancestors of Jesus, part of his lineage, part of his genealogy. So we should not at all be surprised that God in his grace, through his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Redeemer, calls us to be his descendants. Shouldn't. Jesus is the king of grace. That's who he is. That's why he came. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. Lord, I thank you for passages like Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The names that are there and the people that are there. <laughs> Lord, and even just in a brief overview of those names and of that genealogy, we can just see... 
uh, the sin and the evil and the rebellion. But Lord, it's my prayer that we would not fixate as much on that as we would fixate on your grace and on your faithfulness. Lord, that this genealogy would, would, would push us to trust you more. Lord, that this genealogy would draw us closer to you and to, to who you are. Lord, that we would see perhaps the gospel in, in a different light this morning. Lord, that we would recognize that we are children of yours only by your grace and by your faithfulness. Lord, may we rest only in that truth. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.